Chapter 27, Woodhauling. When school opened as usual that January, Amonzo did not have to go. He was hauling wood from the timber. In the frosty, cold morning before the sun was up, Father hitched the big oxen to the big bobsled, and Amonzo hitched the yearlings to his bobsled. Star and Bright were now too big for the little yoke and the larger yoke was too heavy for Almanzo to handle alone. Pierre had to help him lift it onto Star's neck, and Louis helped him push Bright under the other end of it. The yearlings had been idle all summer in the pastures, and now they did not like to work. They shook their heads and pulled and backed. It was hard to get the bows in place and put the bow pins in. Almanzo had to be patient and gentle. He petted the yearlings, which sometimes, when sometimes he wanted to hit them, and he fed them carrots and talked to them soothingly. But before he could get them yoked and hitched to his sled, Father was already going to the timber lot. Almanzo followed. The yearlings obeyed him when he shouted, Get up! And they turned to the right or to the left when he cracked his whip and shouted, Gee! or Haw! They trudged along down the road, up the hills, down the hills, and Almanzo rode on his bobsled with Pierre and Louis behind now. He was ten years old now, and he was driving his own oxen on his own sled and going to the timber to haul wood. In the woods, the snow was drifted high against the trees. The lowest branches of pines and cedars were buried in it. There was no road. There were no marks on the snow but the feather-stitching tracks of birds and the blurry spots where the rabbits had hopped. Deep in the still woods, axes were chopping with a ringing sound. Father's big oxen wallowed on, breaking a road, and Almanzo's yearlings struggled behind them. Farther and farther into the woods they went, till they came to the clearing where French Joe and Lazy John chopping down the trees. Logs lay all around, half buried in snow. John and Joe had sawed them into 15-foot lengths, and some of them were two feet through. The huge logs were so heavy that six men couldn't lift them, but Father had to load them on the bobsled. He stopped the sled beside one of them, and John and Joe came to help him. They had three stout poles called skids. skids. They stuck these under the log and let them slant up to the bobsled. Then they took their cant poles. Cant poles have sharp ends with big iron hooks swinging loose under them. John and Joe stood near the end of the log. They put the sharp ends of their cant poles against it. And when they raised the poles up, Cant hooks bit into the log and rolled it a little. Then Father caught hold of the middle of the log with his cant pole and hook, and he held it from rolling back while John and Joe quickly took their cant hooks and let them slip down and take another bite. They rolled the log a little more, and again Father held it, and again they rolled it. They rolled the log little by little up the slanting skids and onto the bobsled. But Almanzo had no cant hooks, 
and he had to load his sled. He found three straight poles to use for skids. Then with shorter poles, he started to load some of the smallest logs. They were eight or nine inches through and about 10 feet long, and they were crooked and hard to handle. Almanzo put Pierre and Louis near the ends of a log, and he stood in the middle, like father. They pushed and pried and lifted and gasped, pushing the log up the skids. It was hard to do because their poles had no cant hooks and could not take hold of the log. They managed to load six logs. Then they had to put more logs on top of those, and this made the skids slant upward more steeply. Father's bobsled was loaded already, and Almanzo hurried. He cracked his whip and urged Star and Bright quickly to the nearest log. On one end of this log, one end of this log was bigger than the other, so it would not roll evenly. Almanzo put Louis at the smaller end and told him not to roll it too fast. Pierre and Louis rolled the log an inch. Then Almanzo stuck his pole under it and held it, while Pierre and Louis rolled it again. They got the log high up on the steep skids. Almanzo was holding it up with all his might. His legs were braced and his teeth were clenched and his neck strained and his eyes felt bulging out when suddenly the whole log slipped. The pole jerked out of his hands and hit his head. The log was falling on him. He tried to get away, but it smashed him down into the snow. Pierre and Louis screamed and kept screaming. Almanzo couldn't get up. The log was on top of him. Father and John lifted it, and Almanzo crawled out. He managed to get up on his feet. Hurt, son? Father asked him. Almanzo was afraid he was going to be sick at his stomach. He managed to say, no, father. Father felt his shoulders and arms. Well, no bones broken, Father said cheerfully. Luckily, the snow is deep, said John, or he might have been hurt bad. Accidents will happen, son, Father said. Take more care next time. Men must look out for themselves in the timber. Almanzo wanted to lie down. His head hurt and his stomach hurt, and his right foot hurt dreadfully. But he helped Pierre and Louis straighten the log and he did not try to hurry this time. They got the log on the sled all right, but not before father was gone with his load. Amanzo decided not to load any more logs now. He climbed on the load and cracked his whip and shouted, get up. Star and Bright pulled, but the sled did not move. Then Star tried to pull and quit trying. Bright tried and gave up just as Star tried again. They both stopped discouraged. Get up, get up, Almanzo kept shouting, cracking his whip. Star tried again, then Bright, then Star. The sled did not move. Star and Bright stood still, puffing out the breath from their noses. Almanzo felt like crying and swearing. He shouted, get up, get up. John and Joe stopped sawing and Joe came over to the sled. You're too heavy loaded, he said. You boys get down and walk. And Almanzo, he 
talk to your team and gentle them along. You'll make the, the steers bulky if you don't be careful. Almanzo climbed down. He rubbed the yearlings' throats and scratched around their horns. He lifted the yoke a little and ran his hand under it, then settled it gently in place. All the time he talked to the little steers. Then he stood beside Star and cracked his whip and shouted, Get up! Star and Bright pulled together and the sled moved. Amanzo trudged all the way home. Pierre and Louis walked in the smooth tracks behind the runners, but Amanzo had to struggle through the soft, deep snow beside Star. When he reached the woodpile at home, Father said he had done well to get out of the timber. Next time, son, you'll know better than to put such a, <clears throat> such a heavy load before the road's broken, Father said. You'll spoil a team if you let them seesaw. They get the idea that they can't pull the load, and then they quit trying. After that, they're no good. Almanzo could not eat dinner. He felt sick, and his foot ached. Mother thought perhaps he should stop work, but Almanzo would not let a little accident stop him. Still, he was slow. Before he reached the timber, he met Father coming back with a load. He knew that an empty sled must always give the road to a loaded sled, so he cracked his whip and shouted, Gee! Star and Bright swerved to the right, and before Almanzo could even yell, they were sinking in the deep snow in the ditch. They did not know how to break road like big oxen. They snorted and floundered and plunged, and the sled was sinking under the snow. The little steers tried to turn around, twisted yoke was almost choking them. Almanzo struggled in the snow, trying to reach the yearlings' heads. Father turned and watched while he went by. Then he faced forward and drove on towards home. Almanzo got hold of Star's head and spoke to him gently. Pierre and Louis had hold of Bright, and the yearlings stopped plunging. Only their heads and their backs showed above the snow. Almanzo swore, God dang it! They had to dig out the steers and the sled. They had no shovel. They had to move all that snow with their hands and feet. There was nothing else they could do. It took them a long time, but they kicked and pawed all the snow away from it, from in front of the sled and the steers. They trampled it hard and smooth in front of the runners. Amanzo straightened the tongue and the chain and the yoke. He had to sit down and rest a minute. But he got up, and he petted Star and Bright and spoke to them encouragingly. He took an apple away from Pierre and broke it into two and gave it to the little steers. When they had eaten it, he cracked his whip and cheerfully shouted, Get up! Pierre and Louis pushed the sled with all their might. The sled started. Almanzo shouted and cracked his whip. Star and Bright hunched their backs and pulled. Up they went, out of the ditch, and up went the sled with a lurch. That was one trouble Almanzo had got out of, all by himself. The road in the woods was fairly well broken now, and this time Almanzo did not put so many logs on the sled, so he rode homeward on the load, with Pierre and Louis sitting behind him. Down the long road he saw Father coming, and he said to himself that this time Father must turn out and let him go by. Star and Bright walked briskly, and the sled was sliding easily down the white road. Almanzo's whip cracked loudly in the frosty air. Nearer 
And nearer came father's big oxen and father riding on the big sled. Now, of course, the big oxen should have made way for Almanzo's load, but perhaps Star and Bright remembered that they had turned out before. Or perhaps they knew they must be polite to the older, bigger oxen. Nobody expected them to turn out of the road, but suddenly they did. One sled runner dropped into soft snow, and over went the sled and the load and the boys, topsy-turvy, pell-mell. Almanzo went sprawling through the air and headfirst into the snow. He wallowed and scrambled and came up. His sled stood on edge. The logs were scattered and upended in the drifts. There was a pile of red-brown legs and sides deep in the snow. Father's big oxen were going calmly by. Pierre and Louis rose out of the snow, swearing in French. Father stopped his oxen and got off his sled. Well, 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 son, he said. Seems we've met again. Almanzo and father looked at the yearlings. Bright lay on star. Their legs and the chain and the tongue were all mixed up, and the yoke was over star's ears. The yearlings lay still, too sensible to try to move. Father helped untangle them and got them on their feet. They were not hurt. Father helped set Almanzo's sled on its runners. With sled stakes for skids, Almanzo's and Almanzo's sled stakes for poles, he loaded the logs again. Then he stood back and said nothing, while Almanzo yoked up star and bright and petted and encouraged them and made them haul the tilted load along the edge of the ditch safely onto the road. That's the way, son, father said. Down again, up again. He drove on to the timber, and Almanzo drove on to the woodpile at home. All that week and all the next week, he went on hauling wood from the timber. He was learning to be a pretty good oxen driver and wood hauler. Every day his foot ached a little bit less, and at last he hardly limped at all. He helped father haul a huge pile of logs, ready to be sawed and split and corded in the woodshed. Then one evening, Father said that they had hauled that year's supply of wood, and Mother said it was high time Almanzo went to school if he was going to get any schooling that winter. Almanzo said there was threshing to do, and the young calves needed breaking. He asked, What do I have to go to school for? I can read and write and spell, and I don't want to be a school teacher or a storekeeper. You can read and write and spell, Father said slowly, but can you figure? Yes, Father, Almanzo said. Yes, I can figure, some. A farmer must know more figuring than that, son. You better go to school. Almanzo did not say any more. He knew it would be no use. Next morning, he took his dinner pail and went to school. This year, his seat was further back in the room, so he had a desk for his books and slate, and he studied hard to learn the whole arithmetic, because the sooner he knew it all, Sooner he would not have to go to school anymore. Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter. Read chapter 28. Mr. Thompson's Pocketbook. Father had so much hay that year that the stock could not eat it all, so he decided to sell some of it in town. He went to the woods and brought back a straight, smooth ash log. He hewed the bark from it and then with a wooden maul, he beat the log 
turning it and pounding it until he had softened the layer of wood that had grown last summer and loosened the thin layer of wood underneath it, which had grown the summer before. Then with his knife he cut long gashes from end to end of the log, about an inch and a half apart, and he peeled off that thin, tough layer of wood strips about an inch and a half wide. Those were white, those were ash whites. Then Almanzo saw them piled on the big barn floor, and he guessed that father was going to bale hay. And he asked, Are you going to need help? Father's eyes twinkled. Yes, son, he said. You could stay home from school. You won't learn hay baling any younger. The next morning, Mr. Weed, the hay baler, came with his press, and Almanzo helped him to set it up on the big barn floor. It was a stout wooden box as long and wide as a bale of hay, but 10 feet high. Its cover could be fastened on tightly, and its bottom was loose. Two iron levers were hinged to the loose bottom, and the levers ran on little wheels on iron tracks going out from each end of the box. Tracks were like small railroad tracks, and the press was called a railroad press. It was a new, fine machine for baling hay. In the barnyard, Father and Mr. Webb set up a capstan with a long sweep on it. A rope from the capstan went through a ring under the hay press and was tied to another rope that went to the wheels at the end of the levers. When everything was ready, Almanzo hitched Bess to the sweep. Father pitched hay into the box, and Mr. Weed stood in the box and trampled it down till the box would hold no more. Then he fastened the cover on the box, and Father called, All right, Almanzo. Almanzo slapped Bess with the lines and shouted, Get up, Bess. Bess began to walk around the capstan, and the capstan began to wind up the rope. The rope pulled on the ends of the levers towards the press, and the inner ends of the levers pushed its loose bottom upward. The bottom slowly rose, squeezing the hay. The rope creaked and the box groaned till the hay was pressed so tight that it couldn't be pressed tighter. Then Father shouted, Whoa! And Almanzo shouted, Whoa, Bess! Father climbed up the hay press and ran ash whites through narrow cracks of the box. He pulled them tightly around the bale of hay and knotted them firmly. Mr. Weed unfastened the cover and up popped the bale of hay, bulging between tight ash whites. It weighed 250 pounds, but Father lifted it easily. Then Father and Mr. Weed reset the press. Almanzo unwound the rope from the capstan, and they began again to make another bale of hay. All day they worked, and that night, Father said, they had baled enough. Almanzo sat at the supper table, wishing he did not have to go back to school. He thought about figuring, and he was thinking so hard that the words came out of his mouth before he knew it. Thirty bales to a load. At two dollars a bale, he said. That's sixty dollars a load. He stopped, scared. He knew better than to speak at the table when he wasn't spoken to. Mercy on us. Listen to the boy, mother said. Well, son, said father. I see you've been studying to some purpose. He drank the tea out of his saucer and set it down and looked again at Almanzo. Learning is best to put into practice. Let's say you ride to town with me tomorrow and sell that load of hay. Oh, yes, please, Father, Almanzo almost shouted. He did not have to go to school the next morning. He climbed high up on the top of the load of hay, and there on his stomach, and lay there on his stomach and kicked up his heels. 
Father's hat was down below him, and beyond were the plump backs of the horses. He was as high up as if he were in a tree. The load swayed a little, and the wagon creaked, and the horses' feet made dull sounds on the hard snow. The air was clear and cold. The sky was very blue, and all the snowy fields were sparkling. Just beyond the bridge over Trout River, Almanzo saw a small black thing lying beside the road. When the wagon passed, he leaned over the edge of the hay and saw that it was a pocketbook. He yelled, and Father stopped the horses to let him climb down and pick it up. It was a fat, black wallet. Almanzo shimmied up the bales of hay, and the horses went on. He looked at the pocketbook. He opened it, and it was full of banknotes. There was nothing to show who owned them. He handed it down to Father, and Father gave him the reins. The team seemed far below, with the lines slanting down to the hames, and Almanzo felt very small, but he liked to drive. He held the lines carefully, and the horses went steadily along. Father was looking at the pocketbook and the money. There's $1,500 here, Father said. Now who does it belong to? He's a man who's afraid of banks, or he wouldn't carry so much money around. You can see by the creases in the bills he's carried them for some time. They're big bills, all folded together, so likely he got them all at once. Now who is suspicious and stingy and sold something valuable lately? Amonzo didn't know, but Father couldn't, didn't expect him to answer. The horses went around a curve in the road as well as if Father had been driving them. Thompson, Father explained. He sold some land last fall. He's afraid of banks, and he's suspicious, and so stingy he'd skin a flea for its hide and tallow. Thompson's the man. He put the pocketbook in his pocket and took the lines from Almanzo. We'll see if we can find him in town, he said. Father drove first to the livery, sale, and feed stable. The livery man came out. Sure enough, Father let Almanzo sell the hay. He stood back and did not say anything while Almanzo showed the liveryman the hay was good timothy and clover, clean and bright, and every bale solid and full weight. How much do you want for it? The liveryman asked. Two dollars and a quarter per bale, Almanzo said. I won't pay that price, said the liveryman. It isn't worth it. What would you call a fair price? Almanzo asked him. Not a penny over two dollars, the livery man said. All right, I'll take two dollars, said Almanzo quickly. The livery man looked at Father, and then he pushed back his hat and asked Almanzo why he priced the hay at two dollars and a quarter in the first place. Are you taking it at two dollars, Almanzo asked. The livery man said he was. Well, Almanzo said, I asked two and a quarter, because if I asked two, you wouldn't have paid but one seventy-five. The livery man laughed and said to Father, That's a smart boy of yours. Time will show, Father said. Many a good beginning makes a bad ending. It remains to be seen how he turns out in the long run. Father did not take the money for the, be for the hay. He let Almanzo take it and count it to make sure it was $60. Then they went to Mr. Case's store. The store was always crowded, but Father always did his trading there because Mr. Case sold his goods cheaper than other merchants. Mr. Case said, I'd rather have a nimble sixpence than a slow shilling. 
Almanzo stood in the crowd with Father, waiting while Mr. Case served first comers. Mr. Case was polite and friendly to everybody alike. He had to be, because they were all customers. Father was polite to everybody, too, but he was not as friendly to some as he was to others. After a while, Father gave Almanzo the pocketbook and told him to look for Mr. Thompson. Father must stay in the store to wait his turn. He could not lose time if they were to get home by chore time. No other boys were on the street. They were all in school. Almanzo liked to be walking down the street carrying all that money, and he thought how glad Mr. Thompson would be to see it again. He looked in the stores and the barber shop and the bank. Then he saw Mr. Thompson's team standing on a side street in front of Mr. Paddock's wagon shop. He opened the door of the long, low building and went in. Mr. Paddock and Mr. Thompson were standing by the round-bellied stove, looking at a piece of hickory and talking about it. Amonzo waited because he could not interrupt them. It was warm in the building, and there was a good smell of shavings and leather and paint. Beyond the stove, two workmen were making a wagon, and another was painting thin red lines on the red spokes of a new buggy. The buggy glistened proudly in black paint. Long curls of shavings lay in heaps, and the whole place was as pleasant as a barn on a rainy day. The workmen whistled while they measured and marked and sawed and planed the clean-smelling wood. Mr. Thompson was arguing about the price of a new wagon. Amonzo decided that Mr. Paddock did not like Mr. Thompson, but he was trying to sell the wagon. He figured the cost with his big carpenter's pencil and soothingly tried to persuade Mr. Thompson. You see, I can't cut my price any further and pay my men, he said. I'm doing the best I can for you. I guarantee we'll make a wagon to please you, or you don't have to take it. Well, maybe I'll come back to you if I can't do better elsewhere, Mr. Thompson said suspiciously. Glad to serve you any time, said Mr. Paddock. Then he saw Almanzo and asked him how the pig was getting along. Amonzo liked big jolly Mr. Paddock. He always asked about Lucy. She'll weigh around 150 now, Almanzo told him, and then he turned to Mr. Thompson and said, Did you lose a pocketbook? Mr. Thompson jumped. He clapped a hand on his pocket and fairly shouted, Guess I have. Fifteen hundred dollars in it, too. What about it? What do you know about it? Is this it? Almanzo asked. Yes, 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 that's it, Mr. Thompson said, snatching the pocketbook. He opened it and hurriedly counted the money. He counted all the bills over twice, and he looked exactly like a man skinning a flea for its hide and tallow. Then he breathed a long sigh of relief and said, Well, the stern boy didn't steal any of it. Almanzo's face was hot as fire. He wanted to hit Mr. Thompson. Mr. Thompson thrust his skinny hand into his pants pocket and hunted around. He took out something. Here, he said, putting it into Almanzo's hand. It was a nickel. Almanzo was so angry he couldn't see. He hated Mr. Thompson. He wanted to hurt him. Mr. Thompson called him a dern boy and as good as called him a thief. Almanzo didn't want his old nickel. Suddenly he thought what to say. Here, he said, handing the nickel back. Keep your nickel. I can't change it. Mr. Thompson's tight, mean face turned red. One of the workmen laughed, a short, jeering laugh. 
But Mr. Paddock stepped up to Mr. Thompson, angry. Don't you call this boy a thief, Thompson, he said. And he's not a beggar either. There's, that's how you treat him, is it? When he brings you back your $1,500, call him a thief and hand him a nickel, will you? Mr. Thompson stepped back. But Mr. Paddock stepped right after him. Mr. Paddock shook his fist under Mr. Thompson's nose. You measly skinflint, Mr. Paddock said. Not if I know it, you won't. Not in my place. A good, honest, decent little chap. And you, for a cent, I'll... No, you hand him a hundred of that money and do it quick. No, two hundred. Two hundred dollars, I say. Or take the consequences. Mr. Thompson tried to say something, and so did Almanzo. But Mr. Paddock's fists clenched, and the muscles of his arms bulged. Two hundred, he shouted, hand it over quick, or I'll see you do. Mr. Thompson shrank down small, watching Mr. Paddock. Then he licked his thumb and hurriedly counted off some bills. He held them out to Almanzo. Almanzo said, Mr. Paddock, now get out of here. If you know what's healthy, get out, Mr. Paddock said. And before Almanzo could blink, he was standing there with the bills in his hand, and Mr. Thompson slammed the door behind himself. Almanzo was so excited, he stammered. He said he didn't think father would like it. Almanzo felt queer about taking all that money, and yet he did want to keep it. Mr. Paddock said he would talk to father. He rolled down his shirt sleeves, put on his coat, and asked, Where is he? Almanzo almost ran to keep up with Mr. Paddock's long strides. The bills were clutched tight in his hand. Father was putting packages into the wagon, and Mr. Paddock told him what happened. For a cent, I'd have smashed his sneezing face, Mr. Paddock said. But it struck me most that... Giving up cash is what hurts him most, and I figure the boy's entitled to it. I don't know as anyone's entitled to anything for common honesty, Father objected. Though I must say I appreciate the spirit you showed, Paddock. I don't say he deserved more than decent gratitude for giving Thompson his own money, Mr. Paddock said, but it's too much to ask him to stand and take insults on top of that. I say Almanzo's entitled to that 200 well, there's something in what you say, said Father. Finally, he decided, all right, son, you can keep that money. Almanzo smoothed out the bills and looked at them. Two hundred dollars. That was as much as the horse buyer paid for one of Father's four-year-olds. And I'm much obliged to you, Paddock, standing up for the boy the way you did, Father said. Well, I can afford to lose a customer now and then in a good cause, said Mr. Paddock. He asked Almanzo, what are you going to do with all that money? Almanzo looked at Father. Could I put it in the bank? He asked. That's the place to put money, said Father. Well, 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 $200. I was twice your age before I had so much. So was I. Yes, and older than that, Mr. Paddock said. Father and Almanzo went to the bank. Almanzo could just look over the ledge at the cashier, sitting on his high stool with a pen behind his ear. 
The cashier craned to look down at Almanzo and his father. Hadn't I better put this down to your account, sir? No, said father. It's the boy's money. Let him handle it himself. He won't learn any younger. Yes, sir, the cashier said. Almanzo had to write his name twice. Then the cashier carefully counted the bills and wrote Almanzo's name in a little book. He wrote the figures, 200 in the book, and he gave the book to Almanzo. Almanzo went out of the bank with father and asked him, how do I get the money out again? You ask for it and they'll give it to you. But remember this, son, as long as that money is in the bank, it's working for you. Every dollar in the bank is making you four cents a year. That's a sight easier than you can earn money any other way. Anytime you want to spend a nickel, you stop and think about how much work it takes to earn a dollar. Yes, father, Almanzo said. He was thinking that he had more than enough money to buy a little colt. He could break a little colt of his own. He could teach it everything. Father would never let him break one of his colts. But this was not the end of that exciting day. Chapter 29. Farmer Boy. Mr. Paddock met Almanzo and father outside the bank. He told father that he had something in mind. I've been meaning to speak about it for some little time, he said. About this boy of yours. Almanzo was surprised. You ever think of making a wheelwright out of him? Mr. Paddock asked. Well, no, father answered slowly. Can't say as I ever did. Well, think it over now, said Mr. Paddock. It's a growing business, Wilder. The country's growing, population getting bigger all the time, and folk have got to have wagons and buggies. They've got to travel back and forth. The railroads don't hurt us. We're getting more customers all the time. It's a good opening for a smart young fellow. Yes, father said. Got no sons of my own, and you've got two, said Mr. Paddock. You'll have to think about starting Almanzo out in life before long. Apprentice him to me, and I'll treat the boy right. If he turns out the way I expect, no reason he shouldn't have a business, have the business in time. He'd be a rich man with maybe half a hundred workmen under him. It's worth thinking about. Yes, father said. Yes, it's worth thinking about. I appreciate what you've said, Paddock. Father did not talk on the way home. Almanzo sat beside him on the wagon seat and did not say anything either. So much had happened that he thought about it all together and mixed up. He thought of the cashier's inky fingers and of Mr. Thompson's thin mouth screwed down at the corners and of Mr. Paddock's fists and the busy, warm, cheerful wagon shop. He thought if he was Mr. Paddock's apprentice, he wouldn't have to go to school. He had often envied Mr. Paddock's workmen. Their work was fascinating. The thin, long shavings curled away from the keen edges of the planes. They stroked the smooth wood with their fingers. Almanzo liked to do that, too. He would like to spread on paint with the wide paintbrush, and he would like to make fine, straight lines with the tiny, pointed brush. When a new buggy was done, all shining in its new paint, or when a wagon was finished. Every piece, good, sound, hickory, or oak, 
with the wheels painted red and the box painted green and a little picture painted on the tailboard. The workmen were proud. They made wagons as sturdy as father's bobsleds and far more beautiful. Amonzo felt a small, stiff bank book in his pocket, and he thought about a colt. He wanted a colt with slender legs and large, gentle, wondering eyes like starlights. He wanted to teach the little colt everything, as he had taught star and bright. So father and Almanzo rode all the way home, not saying anything. The air was still and cold, but all the trees were like black lines drawn on the snow on the sky. It was chore time when they got home. Almanzo helped do the chores, but he wasted some time looking at starlight. He stroked the soft, velvety nose, and he ran his hand along the firm curve of Starlight's little neck under the mane. Starlight nibbled with soft lips along his sleeve. Son, where be you? Father called. And Almanzo ran guiltily to his milking. At supper time, he sat steadily eating while Mother talked about what had happened. She said that never in her life, she said, you could have knocked her over with a feather. And she didn't know why it was so hard to get it all out of father. Father answered her questions, but like Almanzo, he was busy eating. At last, mother asked, James, what's on your mind? Then father told her that Mr. Paddock wanted to take Almanzo as an apprentice. Mother's brown eyes snapped, and her cheeks turned red as her red wool dress. She laid down her knife and fork. I'd never heard of such a thing, she said. Well, the sooner Mr. Paddock gets that out of his head, the better. I hope you gave him a piece of your mind. Why on earth, I'd like to know, shall Almanzo live in town at the beck and call of every Tom, Dick, and Harry? Paddock makes good money, said Father. I guess if truth was told, he banks more money every year than I do. He looks on it as a good opening for the boy. Well, Mother snapped. She was all ruffled like an angry hen. Pretty past the world's coming to, if any man thinks it's a step up in the world to leave a good farm and go to town. How does Mr. Paddock make his money if it isn't catering to us? I guess if he didn't make wagons to suit farmers, he wouldn't last long. That's true enough, said Father, but there's no but about it, Mother said. Oh, it's bad enough to see Royale come down on being nothing but a shopkeeper. Maybe he'll make money, but he'll never be the man you are, truckling to other people for his living all his days. He'll never be able to call his soul his own. For a minute, Almanzo wondered if Mother was going to cry. There, there, Father said sadly. Don't take it too much to heart. Maybe it's all for the best somehow. I won't have Almanzo go the same way, Mother cried. I won't have it. You hear me? I feel the same way you do, said Father. But the boy will have to decide. We can keep him here on the farm by law till he's twenty-one. But it won't do any good if he's wanting to go. No, if Almanzo feels the way Royale does, we'd better apprentice him to Paddock while he's young enough. Almanzo went on eating. He was listening, but he was tasting the good taste of roast pork and applesauce in every corner of his mouth. He took a long, cold drink of milk, and then he sighed and tucked his napkin further in and reached for his pumpkin pie cut off the quivering point of golden brown pumpkin, dark with spices and sugar. It melted on his tongue 
and all his mouth and nose were spicy. He's too young to know his own mind, Mother objected. Almanzo took another big mouthful of pie. He could not speak until he was spoken to, but he thought to himself that he was old enough to know that he'd rather be like Father than like anybody else. He did not want to be like Mr. Paddock even. Mr. Paddock had to please a mean man like Mr. Thompson or lose the sale of a wagon. Father was free and independent. If he went out of his way to please anybody, it was because he wanted to. Suddenly he realized that Father had spoken to him. He swallowed and almost choked on pie. Yes, Father, he said. Father was looking solemn. Son, he said, you heard what Paddock said about you being apprenticed to him. Yes, Father. What do you say about it? Almanzo didn't exactly know what to say. He hadn't supposed he could say anything. He would have to do whatever Father said. Well, son, you think about it, said Father. I want you should make up your own mind. With Paddock, you'd have an easy life in some ways. You wouldn't be out all kinds of weather. Cold winter nights, you could lie snug in bed and not worry about young stock freezing. Rain or shine, wind or snow, you'd be under shelter. You'd be shut up inside walls. Likely, you'd always have plenty to eat and wear and money in the bank. James, Mother said. That's the truth, and we must be fair about it, Almanzo answered. But there's the other side, too, Almanzo. You'd have to depend on other folks, son, in town. Everything you got, you'd get from other folks. A farmer depends on himself and the land and the weather. If you're a farmer, you raise what you eat. You raise what you wear. And you keep warm with wood out of your own timber. You work hard, but you work as you please. And no man can tell you to go or come. You'll be free and independent, son, on a farm. Almanzo squirmed. Father was looking at him too hard, and so was mother. Almanzo did not want to live inside walls and please people he didn't like and never have houses, horses and cows and fields. He wanted to be just like father, but he didn't want to say so. You take your time, son. Think it over, father said. You make up your mind what you want. Father, Almanzo exclaimed, Yes, son. Can I? Can I really tell you what I want? Yes, son, father encouraged him. I want a colt, Alonso said. Could, buy a, could I buy a colt all my own with some of that $200? And would you let me break him? Father's beard slowly widened with a smile. He put down his napkin and leaned back in his chair and looked at mother. Then he turned to Almanzo and said, Son, you leave that money in the bank. Almanzo felt everything sinking down inside him. And then suddenly the whole world was a great, shining, expanding glow of warm light. Her father went on, If it's a cult you want, I'll give you starlight. Father, Almanzo gasped, For my very own? Yes, son. You can break him drive him, and when he's a four-year-old, you can sell him or keep him, just as you want to. We'll take him out on a rope first thing tomorrow morning, and you can begin to gentle him. 
Read the next chapter.